to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16. We're going to cover uh, a couple of verses here, verses 17 through 19. And then just to let you know, next week we're going to cover one verse, uh, verse 20, and we're going to be talking about how to defeat the devil. Uh, and and I just want to invite you to make sure that you're here next week. Uh, it'll definitely speak to you. I know as it does to me. I, I told you, I said, you know, we there's so many things to teach on through the end of the book of Romans here. We could spend months just in these last few verses, but I promise you we've only got a, a couple more weeks, and then we're going to be on to the book of Acts. And so just uh, we're talking about church life and especially ministry in these last days. And so that uh, seems kind of fitting after Easter as well um, and what the Lord would do in our community. So um, this morning we're going to be in, in chapter 16, verses 17 through 19. And I titled it, uh, this message this morning, how to minister to divisive people. And it won't be what you think, how to minister to divisive people. And it's kind of an interesting topic um, as we come to the conclusion of this book. And if you haven't been with us, or even if you have, it's just good as we get into this this morning to remind you, you know, the book of Romans. Remember, this this book has been used probably more than any other singular book in the Bible to bring about personal and churchwide revival. And so when I think about, you know, this book, and we'll talk about even the Romans road today, how a person is saved, just how the book is laid out, you know, and I shared with you, you know, all along, you know, chapters one through three deal with, you know, the wrath of God. And then we see in chapters, you know, four through eight, primarily dealing with the grace of God. And then in chapters nine through 11, dealing with the nation of Israel in particular. Uh, and then, you know, what, what is God's plan? Uh, we see the plan of God in chapters nine through 11. And then to me, probably the most exciting, you know, chapters in Romans is actually starts there in, in Romans chapter 12 and takes us through the remainder of the book that deals with the will of God. And, and the reason I say exciting, because I think all of us want to know, what is God's will for my life? You know, what, what does he want for me and what does he want from me? And to be able to study this out and learn that. So we have the, the wrath of God, the grace of God, the plan of God, and the will of God. And then, you know, if that's too difficult and, and you go, man, four things is a lot to remember, Pastor Mike. How about three? You know, three things, and I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, you know, that chapters one through 11 primarily deal with doctrinal issues, right? Most heavy, meaty stuff of, of, of salvation, you know, sanctification, justification. Um, that, that's really chapters one through 11. And then chapters 12 through 15, Paul just really gets into to practical issues, just, you know, how to live, you know, our faith. And then the remainder of the book there in chapters 15 and 16, and where we find ourselves today, he's dealing with personal issues. So we have doctrinal, practical, personal, you know, so again, just to kind of help you kind of wrap your mind around this, this book is, is so good. It's so, so meaty. Um, you know, but again, one of the things in, in this particular chapter, as we get into this this morning, that I find interesting in chapter 16, you know, remember Paul has never been to Rome. Okay. So keep that in mind, never been to Rome. But here, you know, we read the first part of this, this book. I mean, there's like 35 people that he knows by name. Do you know 35 people by name that you know, you know, that you go, and here's Paul, never, ever has he been to Rome, and he knows so many people by name. And I think when you think about the Apostle Paul's life and you read this book, there is something that, you know, comes to the surface there that Paul cares about people, Amen that, you know, he loves people. I mean, he's never even been to this town and he knows everything about him. He's not a nosy neighbor. 
You know, he's a neighbor who loves and cares. As a matter of fact, it's his desires to get to them because he wants them to know the truth. It's that important that they know the truth and he's willing to travel. You know, my wife and I were, were planning a trip right now for our 40th anniversary to go to Greece in uh, October. And part of that is to kind of hopefully lay a foundation of uh, future trips that we can do as a church doing the steps of Paul. But it's like going to Israel. There's so many variations, you know, that you can do. You've got to kind of figure out which direction do you really want to go. So, um, you know, we're, we're looking to do that personally. And then, like I said, uh, from there, just learn what would be the best way to go about that. So I'm excited. Um, you know, but, but I think of Paul's life and you go and he didn't have a, he didn't have boats and airplanes and trains and automobiles. And he covered so I mean, thousands of miles motivated by love, motivated by his care for people. And it speaks to me. And I pray that it speaks to you here this morning. Let's read verses uh, 17 through 19 here in Romans chapter 16. And then we'll take a moment here and we'll pray. First, I'm going to take my gum out of my mouth. I normally do that when I come up and I do leave it right there as Larry noted last week and John, and I do take it at the end of the service. I don't, I don't leave it there. Hopefully they clean this really good. If not, I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> Verse 17, it says, and now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught, stay away from them. It says, such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interest. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise and doing right and stay innocent of any wrong. Makes perfect sense. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and pray that, God, you would help us to learn the truths that you would desire today. God, you would speak to us. Your word is living and it's true and we can trust it. And that's the most important thing, that everything that you say, Lord, can be trusted and taken to heart and applied in our life. You'll never lead us astray. You'll never lead us in the wrong direction. Lord, we find comfort and we find strength in that. And in a world that just seems to get more confusing day by day. Lord, thank you for opening our eyes and opening our ears. And yet we still pray that today, that God, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, what the Holy Spirit would desire to teach us, to bring the words of Jesus to remembrance in our own life, that we would rest in and trust in the very promises of God. And so we look forward to all that you would speak to us today. Bless your church, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there was an evangelist, you know, the story was told he was speaking in a, in a meeting when a heckler stood up and began to shout and he yelled out. He said, listen to him. He said, his father used to drive a wagon that was led by a jackass. And the evangelist, I mean, he just stopped and everybody just kind of looked, you know, and then the evangelist looked back and he said, you're right. Absolutely. He says, my father is gone and the donkey is gone. He goes, but folks, you can see the jackass is still with us. You know, and, uh, you know, I think about that, you know, in the life of a church, because, you know, th there could be uh, divisive people no matter where you go and in any circumstance or situation. The interesting thing in what Paul is talking about, he's probably not talking about a heckler like this. That's not the division that he's talking about. He's probably talking about 
in the day and time Paul was writing, it was a group called Judaizers, right? Who followed Paul wherever he went and tried to undermine the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we find that so prevalent in the world today, because I've shared with you in, in numerous messages through the book of Romans, there's over 4,000 noted religions in the world today. That's a lot of religion, right? And so for the person who says, well, I'm going to search everything out, that's exactly what the devil wants to do. A new religion is birthed every single day. And if the devil can keep you busy in the pursuit of of all these different truths, it's like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're always learning, right? But you're never arriving at any truth. And we find our world today like that, just pursuing truth and then arguing against anything. And especially people go, why is Christianity always under attack? And it's very, very simple because Christianity is the only religion that makes an exclusive claim. I mean, when Jesus himself says, that he is the only way to God. He's the only way to heaven. You know, there's, he said, you know, thieves will come up different ways. Everybody who's come before him is a thief and a robber. And so he's the end all. And that offends people. You know, I was like what Damien Kyle, one of my favorite pastors, he's the Calvary Chapel Modesto pastor. He said, you know, he said, I'm not offended that there's only one way to heaven. He goes, I'm just thankful that there is a way, you know, and I, and I agree with that, would you? Thank God that he made a way because I recognize I don't deserve heaven at all. And yet, like I said, as the church was founded, I mean, it's been plagued with troublemakers. And so, like I said, I, I titled this message, you know, how to minister to divisive people. You know what the short answer is? You know, Paul would tell us, how do you minister to divisive people? You just read the text. The short answer is one word. You know what that is? Don't. 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 I, was, I said that three times, but it's still one word. Don't. See, you ever watch people? I mean, you're, you're, they end up arguing, debating against people. What's that old expression? You know, convince a person against their will. And what? They're the same opinion still. You can't change people. And if you can, if you can change somebody's mind, guess what? Somebody else can change their mind. What we want is for God to change their mind. Amen. And so what do we do? We present God's truth. We present God's word and let God do that work. It's not up to me. And you, Paul said, we water, we plant. He said, but who gives the increase? God does. It's his job. It's his responsibility. But Paul loved people so much, he wasn't afraid to call out those who he felt were doing harm to the very cause of Christ. That's part of what love does too. You protect. You know, one of the things meeting with a couple of different couples this week, talking about, you know, marriage issues, you know, and it, it's not as difficult as we make things out to be, you know, primarily a husband has two responsibilities in the life of his wife and his family is to protect and to provide, to protect and to provide that that's what we see in Christ. What does Jesus do? He protects us and he provides for us. And so as we walk with him, those are the very same characteristics that we should be looking in our own life. When you look at verse 17 there in Romans 16, he says, and now I make one more appeal. Okay, so he's making an appeal. He's not forcing his will. Again, the same way we can't force our will. He's appealing. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause division and upset people's faith by teaching things that are contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. So what is he saying? Don't. 
you know, just as a side note, it's not in my notes, but you might put it in yours and go back and study it. Matthew chapter 10. It's an important chapter because it talks about Jesus sending the disciples out into the world to minister, right? And as he sent them out, he told them, hey, you know, don't even take your cloak. Don't, don't take a money bag. You, you know the text, right? Just go and go minister to people. And when you get to their door, what are you supposed to do? You knock on it, right? Or you ring the doorbell. And, and then what do you do? If they open the door and they let you in, what do you do? You proclaim a blessing, right? You, you proclaim your peace upon that house. What if they slam the door in your face? What are you supposed to do? What, what do you do? Say it again. Like that. You shake the dirt off your feet. But first you go to the back door. Then you go to check all the windows, right? No, I mean, but I mean, no, but it's exactly what Jesus said to do. You shake the dust off your feet. Why did we do that? Well, obviously for the believing Jew, if they, you know, by accident even crossed over a Gentile territory and they were, oh my gosh, you know, it's like when I was growing up as a kid, there was a word, it was called cooties. Everybody remember the word cooties? Yeah, you go, oh, he touched me. She touched me. You know, boys in particular, she's got cooties, mom, you know. And uh, I saw, you know, a reel the other day where they were, uh, a, a girl had held hands with a boy and her, she was like seven or eight years old and her brothers were teenagers and they had her over the faucet in the kitchen and they were using dish soap and they were watching her. They go, no, no, no. And she was laughing, you know, and they were just like, oh my God, we got to get that germs, terrible germs. She's got cooties. Well, the Jews thought, you know, Gentiles had cooties. So what they do is they, they would dust their shoes off. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness? Jehovah Witness are notorious for this. If you watch them, if a, if a Jehovah Witness comes to your door and you have a conversation with them and they determine you don't believe what they believe and it can end, you know, politely and they walk away. When they get to the end of your property, watch them. They will pick their feet up and they will, they will dust their, they will dust their shoes off. They believe that literally that's what they're doing, that you have rejected their blessing because they have the truth. The same way we look at that, the same way the Jews would look at that, and they will dust their, their shoes off. And so, again, it's exactly, you know, what the Apostle Paul is really alluding to here. What we do is you don't minister to them. You don't debate. You're not going to win. If, I mean, you ever heard that expression, you know, win the battle but lose the war? Have you ever won an argument and lost a friendship? Yeah. I mean, if your goal is to win the argument, great. But Jesus came to win people. He died for sinners so that we could be saved. I wish, you know, every believer would follow Paul's admonition here. He just says, don't debate him. As a matter of fact, he doesn't say to even have compassion on them. He says, simply do what? Avoid them. Stay away from them. Some of you, man, you're already thinking this, I can tell you. Just looking at faces, you're going, why didn't he tell me that like 10 years ago? You know, you know, all the time that we can waste. But Paul says to do something. He says, mark them and avoid them. Just like, you know, I love to read and I, I, I like, I use my, my Kindle electronic version. And I love it because it's got different colors of highlighters. So I can highlight yellow. And then if I really, really like something, I do it in orange or blue, 
you know, so I can go back to it. And Paul's going, hey, people that are divisive, and he's talking about in the spiritual sense, because we're, we're called to minister to difficult people. There was a great book years ago, it was called Dancing with Porcupines. You know, it's a great, great visual. You know, a lot of people are porcupines, but we're not called to avoid them. I mean, sometimes it's going to be painful. But he's talking about a very specific person, and it's talking about from a religious perspective, people that are just going to argue religion. They want to debate religion. They want to debate their faith. He's going, don't do it. You're just wasting your time. And that's where, you know, Matthew chapter 10 is a great chapter to read in context there. And so, again, he's talking about, like I said, people who would cause divisions, those that would deceive God's people, that would, again, be teaching them things that are what? Contrary to the written word of God. And then he says, you know, mark them and avoid them. It was interesting. I was looking at some statistics this last week. In 1944, I want you to think about this. In 1944, 91% of Americans, 91% of Americans said they believed in God. In the 1950s and 60s, that number grew to 98%. Isn't that fascinating? 98% of Americans in the 1950s and 60s said they believed in God, okay? In 2022, that number fell to 81%, which is still, that's a high number, right? 81% of Americans in 2022 said they believe in God. What are your thoughts? 81% said they believe in God, okay? So I guess the question that begs to be asked is what percentage of that 81% would you say truly believes in Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And I don't know the answer to that. I'm just saying, but that's what comes to my own mind. It's like, wow, out of 81% who just say there is a God, how many of those really truly believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he is the promised Messiah who came into this world to save us from our sins? And so I guess if that's too difficult to to really think through, put it this way, look in your own life, would you say that 81% of the people in your life believe in God? 81%, you know, that you know, people that are just around you, do you those people know God. So I think at that point, then you kind of understand, you know, Paul's point here is there's going to be a lot of people who might say, even as Jesus said, remember, in that day, he said, many will say to me, right, Lord, Lord, and he said, and I will say, depart from me, you workers of inequity, for what? I never knew you. I never knew you. Okay. So what divisions is Paul talking about? There in verse 18, he says, such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests by smooth talk and glowing words. They deceive innocent people. What he's talking about are simple minded people. That doesn't mean you're stupid. That just means there's an innocence or simplicity about your thought process. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says this, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Now, there was a group, you know, the Gnostics. You know, there was, there was P 
people that lived in Paul's day and Jesus' day, they believed that, you know, the spiritual being was was the, you know, your soul and your spirit. And that's what you worship God with. So your flesh, you basically could just do whatever you wanted to do with your flesh, right? And we have people that still believe that very same thing today. He says, but in verse 20, in Philippians 3, he says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Like I said, everywhere Paul preached the gospel, there was a group primarily of Judaizers who came along and they sought to say, you know, Paul's not an apostle. He's not really, you know, who he claims to be. You know, Jesus never said this. Jesus did, you know, this, this, you know, uh, you got to keep the law. You know, yes, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but you got to be circumcised. You got to go to church on the Sabbath. You got to keep all the the dietary laws of the Old Testament. It was Jesus plus, you know, what? Everything, right? And I share with you all the time, true salvation is Jesus plus what? Nothing. Thank you. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And praise God for that. Amen? Because if it was something else, I'd forget. Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now. I'd say, well, Jesus plus... Mark, what, what was that again? Mark, D, D, well, I knew it last week. I mean, I can walk into the kitchen for something and forget why I'm there. I don't know about you. It's like, I, I'm sitting there. I'm laying in bed the other night. I, I, Lee comes in. I say, hey, I wanted to tell you something. She goes, what? And I go, I can't remember. And so about every five minutes, she goes, do you remember now? I go, no, stop putting pressure on me. It's going to come to me about three o'clock in the morning. I'll wake you up. But, but if I think about it, I'm going to forget. And thank God, it's not based on my memory. He said, he's got a book, right? And he's written our names in that book, in his own blood. Man, to be safe and secure, it's because of what Jesus did. It's not going to be because of anything you and I ever do, other than what? Trusting in him, believing on him. Paul wrote to the church in Galatians. Okay, so first Philippians, every church he's in, look at all the things that he writes. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. He says, to the church in Galatia. He says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven. Is there any religion that you know of that an angel of heaven? Hmm, interesting. It's right there. Paul says, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached you. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Wow. I mean, you know, we talk about unity, you know, and, and getting along and stuff. I mean, Paul, Paul's pretty divisive here, right? So it can't be divisive that you go, oh, it's just somebody who isn't agreeable or that, you know, gets between other people because Paul is coming between us and other people deliberately. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. He even explains it. He says, but of God, 
If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So important to know. Jesus, if you really walk with Jesus, it's not going to win you a you know, popularity contest. Okay? Not with the world. Matter of fact, not even with many in the church, because it's always a, a higher call to holiness and, and, and pursuit of God in our life. It's death to self, right? And being alive to God. And that just, just doesn't go with, you know, what many of us want to believe about Jesus. I mean, you know, we see the, the health and wealth and prosperity doctrine, right? That's out there. You know, Jesus became poor so we could be rich, right? Yeah. But yet, I look at Christianity today, and it's, it's probably more marginalized today than it ever has been in the history of the world, around the world, but especially here in the United States. You know, moving from one nation, what, under God. Man, I mean, you talk about where we're at today, the rejection of God and the rejection, and I'm talking about biblical Christianity or even monotheistic Judaism, right? I mean, the Jews even today in this country are under a greater attack than they've really ever been in the United States itself. And again, it's for those people that believe what? In the inerrancy of God's word, who believe in the inerrancy of God's word for both faith and practice who many would just say, hey, they're fundamentalists, right? That we just believe the Word of God, and we're called not only to believe it, but to what? But to live it and to do it, right? That, that's the call. It's not just, you know, as James said, don't be just a hearer of the Word, but be a doer of the Word. Because there's an argument in the church today that, you know, the highest ideal of the church is what? We say love, and what do we mean? Well, it just means getting along, means being unified, right? At all costs. Don't, don't disagree. You know, I mean, love to you is what love is to you, and love to me is what love is to me. You know, that's not what the Bible teaches. I appreciate that statement that says, I would rather be divided by truth than united by a lie. I'd rather be divided by truth, because that's what Paul's saying. He goes, I'd rather be divided by truth than united by a lie. Because it's not just, you know, your truth and, and my truth. There's no personal opinion here. It's what? It's God's truth. What does God say? It doesn't matter what I say or what you say. It doesn't matter what my opinion is or what your opinion is. What matters is what does God declare in his work? Truth is essential to God's purpose for the church. Would you agree with that? It's essential. I mean, Jesus said in John 14, 6, again, I, he said, speaking of himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except what? except through me. Did he claim to be a truth? Does it say he's a truth or, you know? No, it's the truth. It's singular, right? All roads don't lead to heaven and all faiths don't believe the same thing, even though people will tell you that. Well, everybody, you know, they all believe in God. You know, the Jews, the Muslims, the Christians, they're all worshiping the same God. And you go, no, that's not true. No. I wish it was, but it's not. Because if it was true, then Jesus died for nothing. He died in vain. It's important to understand what the Bible teaches about who Jesus Christ is. James 2.19 puts it like this. 
you say you have faith for you believe, right? So he makes it about believing. He said that there is one God, right? Okay, so here's the argument. You know, one of pastor that I thoroughly enjoy, pastors or did, he's retired now, a mega church here in Southern California, you know, over 20 something thousand people gathering on a Sunday and stand at his pulpit and say that Christians and Muslims both worship the same God. And so my question, you know, is to that pastor then is, so you're telling me that you believe that a good practicing Muslim is going to heaven. And if he answers that, according to scripture, he would say, no, because in the Quran, it makes perfectly clear in the Quran, for those that are practicing Muslims, that God has no son. And if he doesn't have a son, we don't have a savior. So you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. But to say that, you know, yes, because, you know, to try to take it to this high level of, of theology and say, but we all believe in, in, a, in a monotheistic God, I mean, that there's one God, right? So therefore, we're all worshiping the same God. Oh, you know, before I got saved, I worshiped myself. That was one. I don't think it was very accurate, do you? No, but I mean, but, but this is, this is how illogical this is, but he, James says, he says, even the demons believe this, what? That there's one God and it says, and they tremble in terror. I like what David Gusick wrote. He said, truth without unity leads to pride and unity without truth leads to departure from the true gospel itself. Both must be guarded against. So how do we guard against it? You got to know what you know. First Peter reminds us, first Peter 3.15, it says, be ready to do what? Be ready to give the reason for the hope that lies where? Within you. Within you. To what? But it, there's, there's a condition on this. Be ready to give the reason for the hope that lies within you. To what? Every person you come in contact with. Force it down their throat. Just say, hey, I got something to say to you, you know? No, it says to everyone who asks. And you go, but nobody's asking. What did Jesus say to do? He said, you're the salt of the earth, right? You're the light of the world. Make them thirsty. By doing what? By loving people, by serving people, living differently than the world around them, preferring others. What, what was it from the cross? Like I said, I, I wrote about this last week in the devotional, you know, that if you peeled Jesus, okay, and they did. That's why they beat him so much. That's why they scourged him. What were they trying to do? Was it, oh, it was just a fulfilling of scripture? You go, no, no, because he claimed to be love. He claimed to forgive. He claimed, you know, peace and joy. So they thought, because they'd seen it many times, right? You torture somebody, you can get them to do whatever you want them to do, right? You torture them enough. It was just like what had happened in the book of Job, right? What did Job tell, tell God, the Father? He said, skin for skin. He goes, just let, let, me, let me touch him. Oh, yeah. Okay, you know, God, he got away with the thing. I, I messed his stuff up, and he didn't curse you. Nine out of ten believers would have, but Job, hmm, he didn't do it. Okay, but I can promise you this, because I go to church. That's what the devil's basically saying. Remember, to and fro on the earth. He's like, I go to church. I hang out in churches. I love churches. And he goes, let me touch his body. 
Let me, let me do something to him. And he, he will cuss you to your face. That's what he was saying. And so you have Jesus who's suffering, right? The Romans, and they are beating him. They scourge him. They whip him. They cut him open. And I love this picture that when they peeled Jesus back, what they found was love. When you peel Jesus back, that's what you get. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks, right? And what were his first words? We studied that on Good Friday, right? Father, what? Get him. Get him. No, it was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. So much so that that Roman who had performed hundreds, if not thousands of crucifixions, looks up and goes, surely this is this is God, because only, only God could love like this. And that's what the cross is all about. Be ready to give the reason for the hope that's within you, Christ in you. When they peel you back, because we all have a cup in life, right? You got a cup. Hold your hand up like this. Hold your up. You all have a cup. What happens when your cup gets bumped? What happens when your cup gets bumped? Whatever's in that cup is what? It's coming out. Do you like what's in your cup today? Your cup's going to get bumped today. It might already got bumped this morning. If you're married, there's a really good chance that it got bumped this morning, you know? No, seriously, you know? You go, and what do you do? What, what comes out? It's interesting, you know, the Jehovah Witness. You think about this, Jehovah Witness. They believe God only has one name. His name's Jehovah. Okay, so when it says, you know, that his name is Lord or Elohim or other things that you know, we see in Scripture, oh, Jehovah. Well, it's not what the Bible teaches. They don't believe that God is triune. It doesn't say Trinity anywhere in the Bible, nor does it say Bible anywhere in the Bible. That's a whole other thing. But is God called by, really see God in Scripture? Is, is he defined as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all being God? You go, absolutely. God is one, but he's revealed to us in the Bible in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus is none other than Michael the Archangel. That's who he was, and then he took on human flesh. Is that the same Jesus that you read about in your Bible? And you go, no. Jesus to the Jehovah's Witness was nothing more than a man. He's not God. He was a man. He was a righteous man, but he was just a man. Is that what you believe about Jesus? Or was he God who came in human flesh? Yeah. We can't be talking about then the same Jesus. The Jehovah's Witness believed that Jesus was resurrected spiritually, but not physically. What was Mary holding on to? What did the disciples see Jesus eat? You know, things that, you know, again, totally contrary to the scriptures. They don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. They believe the Holy Spirit is a, for just lack of better term for this, that he is a uh, ever-ready battery. That's what he is. He's just a power source. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He's not a person. So when the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, can you grieve a battery? Can you grieve a person? 
Yeah. Again, things we just wouldn't agree with, but you got, they go, but it's Jesus, right? You, the name Jesus, and they'll tell you and talk to you about Jesus. Salvation, you know, for Jehovah's Witness. It requires faith, but it also requires faith in the Jehovah's Witness religion and that you'd become an inerrant, you'd become someone who practices to become a Jehovah's Witness, who attends a, what is it, a, what do they call it? What is the name of the Jehovah's Witness? Kingdom Hall, that's what it is. Yeah, you can't just rent the Kingdom Hall. But yeah, you have to go to a kingdom hall. That, that's a requirement for salvation. So we're thinking about that. What have we made? You have to come to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, and you, that's a requirement you know, for you in order to, to be saved without fail. You can't take a vacation. You can't be sick. You, know, you go, w would we all make it? You go, no. So you have to kind of just bend your rules. Well, you get, you know, you just start writing extra rules, right? Well, you get three weeks off, you know, and who said that? It's in the rules. It's just, it's right there, you know. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness, they believe in the second coming. Just, unfortunately, you guys all missed it. It happened in 1914, okay? So, you look at that. And uh, one that I do appreciate, you know, I wish was true for the Jehovah's Witness, hell doesn't exist. Hey, that's good news, right? Everybody dies, and if you were a good person, you know, if you were one of the faithful, the 144,000, you're, Joe Witness, you're going to be in heaven, and if you weren't one of the 144,000, you'll live in, in a sense, heaven on earth. But if you didn't believe in the Joe Witness faith, you're basically just going to be annihilated. There's just no more of you, okay? So there's no hell. Is that what the Bible teaches? Is death just the end, and it's an annihilation? Or is hell a real place? It's a literal place. Yeah. It's what the Bible teaches. How about the Mormons? The Mormons, just a few things. Four books, you know, within the Mormon faith. The Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and then the King James Bible. And that's just the parts that they like about the King James. That's if it's interpreted correctly or corresponds with the Book of Mormon. And the Mormons believe this, that only a fool would say that the Bible by itself is sufficient and that other scriptures aren't needed. Only a fool would say that the Bible can stand alone. Mormons believe us, well, we believe the Bible, but we also believe that you need the Book of Mormon to rightly interpret the Bible. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. Well, we have a few warnings we read about. The Book of Mormon teaches in continual revelation. What do I mean by continual revelation? Is that the leader of the Mormon church, he can get a vision from God, and that's the direction for the church, and it can change every single weekend. And what can it also do? It can contradict a previous revelation. So if the new leader of the Mormon church doesn't like something that the church used to do, he can just get a fresh revelation from God and undo everything that a good practicing Mormon used to do. Well, what would happen if you were a good practicing Mormon and that was determined not to be good any longer? That's interesting. Thank God Mormons can baptize the dead. So they can go back you know, in their belief and they can actually get people who are dead saved. Is that what the Bible teaches? 
once and for all. It is appointed a man to what? To die, and then after death is what? We're going to meet God, right? You know, not to, I mean, make light of that at all, but, you know, that's like, you know, if you think about the I Love Lucy show, you know, when I was a kid, you know, Ricky looking at Lucy, you know, Lucy, you have some explaining to do, you know, there's a lot of explaining to do, right? On the, and God, because he's gracious, he'll allow that. He's going to ask in the sense of each of us, what, why should I let you into my kingdom? And if you have any other answer other than what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, you've disqualified yourself because you've undermined everything that what Jesus Christ came to do. Mormons, again, they don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that there's three gods. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, and some Christians, well, I can't, I can't go with that. And you go, okay, but here's why they believe that. Because, and I've shared this with you before, listen to what I'm about to say. Their belief is, as man is, God once was. Does that make sense? Because Jesus walked on this earth, right? As man is, God once was, meaning God used to be a man. Okay? Other half of that is, as God is, man shall be. What does that mean? He's God. They're believing that man, because of his perfection, rose to become God. Is that what you believe? Are you going to be God? Some people, they do believe that, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's what the Book of Mormon teaches. They believe in universal salvation. They believe everybody's saved. That's a nice thing, right? But not everybody goes to, if you're a good practicing Mormon and you're married, you go to the celestial kingdom. And get this. I mean, think about, you know, you know, misogynistic, you know, belief system here. Their belief is that if you're a good practicing Mormon, you get your own spiritual planet one day. And because Mormons, Mormons believe in polytheism, they believe that there's three gods, right? Not monotheism, but polytheism is they believe they're one day going to become God and they're going to get their own planet. And because you believe in polytheism, is polygamy a bad thing? No, polygamy in the Mormon eyes is a good thing, even though they don't practice it. Because why? Because it's illegal in the United States, but it doesn't change their belief system. And if you're a good practicing Mormon, what will happen one day as a man, you will get your own planet and then you can have all the spiritual wives that you want. Okay. I think our Bible has a better answer. You're not even given in marriage in heaven, right? Most of the women going, Hey man, I mean, it's just, you go, but we'll, we'll be as the angels unto God. So there's nothing in scripture that says you're going to have your own planet or be your own God or anything, you know, like that. You go, no, that's not what the Bible teaches, but that's what, that's what the Mormons teach. And so would you think that that maybe is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about the divisiveness? That's the teaching that comes along, just like the Judaizers in Paul's day. And we have 4,000. Those are just two prominent ones that are newer. I mean, Mormonism began in the 1800s. Joe Witness in the 1900s, okay? So this, these, these are, you know, millions and millions of followers in the last, you know, 100 years. You know, and there's, you know, a new religion being born every day. This is the divisiveness, not difficult people. There's a difference between difficult people 
Can you be difficult at times? Yeah. Can I? Yeah. You go, that's not what he's talking about. Divisive people. What he's talking about here. In verse 19, there of chapter 16, it goes on, it says, but everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. You remember John wrote the same thing. I love it. My, you know, I hear the news that my children are getting along together, right? And that just makes my heart happy. Most of the time, it makes parents happy, right? They don't like, come on, mom, dad. You know, we were talking about that last night. I was at a dinner and some of my kids were there and we were talking about on the way up, like my brother went with us and he said, yeah, I remember how, you know, when Beth would watch us, my oldest sister, she's four years older and, uh, and she would get a knife out and like a butter knife. It wasn't like a sharp, and she'd like come and we'd go outside and then she would come outside and then we would go around to the other door and then we'd lock that door and we'd leave her outside. And uh, we were laughing like, oh yeah, I forgot all about that. But, you know, but it was a true, true memory, you know? And, and you look at this and he's going, I just love the fact that, that you guys get along, you know? And again, and unfortunately, you know, many people in the world, you know, they think that the goal, you know, of, of life is to what? To experience everything. Were you that kind of, you know, kid growing up? Your parents would warn you about things. Oh, I need to experience it for myself, right? Not a good thing. The Bible teaches there, there's two kinds of wisdom. The first, the wisdom of this world. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 19 says, the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. It says, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. 1 Corinthians 3, 19 and 20 puts it like this. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows that they are worthless. The wisdom of this world, what is God saying that it is? It's worthless. Wisdom of this world is worthless. You remember that commercial from the 1970s for Life Cereal? Mikey likes it. You remember that? Yeah. You know, I got teased all the time. Hey, give it to Mikey. Mikey will try it, you know. But Mikey has two older brothers, and they're confronted with this, this new cereal. And so they go back and forth trying to get each other, you know, to try it because it's supposedly healthy, right? And, you know, they're going, you try it. And he's like, no. And he pushes the bull away. You know, you try it. And says, then they look and they go, hey, let's get Mikey. He hates everything, right? So they push the bull over in front of Mikey. And what does Mikey do? He eats it. And then what is the, you know, the slogan? He likes it. Hey, Mikey, right? And so this became this, you know, really cute, you know, uh, commercial. But, you know, Paul is making it perfectly clear, you know, you know, the world is pushing it in front of you going, try it, you know, you'll like it. And Paul's going, you don't, you don't have to try it. You don't have to try everything. Okay. The wisdom of, of God, though, the book of James chapter three, verse 17 tells us this says, but the wisdom from above is first of all, pure. It is also peace, loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You know, my daughter, Bree, if you don't know, this is my daughter. She's sitting by my father. Bree, stand up real quick. This is my daughter, Bree. This is our, this is our oldest. No, no, this is, stand up. I want them. They don't get to see you, Bree. 
Bree came down this weekend. We got we got our daughter back for one weekend, just overnight. And uh, her mom is in seventh heaven that we got to have uh, some just one on one with our daughter. But uh, I was I thought about this week, um, you know, in just in preparing for this, you know, thinking about wisdom that comes from God. You know, my daughter she has beautiful hair. By the way, I was telling her last night she has this. I mean, natural this curly hair. It's like it's beautiful. Why she straightens it at times like her mother, I have no idea. God, you know, people pay big money to try to get those curls, and she, God just blessed her with them. And so she's had it curly this weekend. I told her, I said, man, your hair looks awesome. Well, she went to cosmetology school and to be a beautician, cut hair. And, uh, and it was a really, really difficult thing because obviously if you are familiar with that industry, um, it can be very cutthroat. And she would come home many times just, just wounded from the way people treated her because she was very open about her faith. She's very loving. She's very, everything that, that Paul talks about, the wisdom of God from a very young age, she exemplified those qualities and those characteristics. And I remember her telling me this story and you maybe will remember this, honey. She came home one day and she, she said, you know, they were, my friends were really berating me, you know, at work. And they were talking about how they go out on the weekend and they party and how they sleep around with different guys and stuff. And something came up and they asked her and she said, you know, I'm a virgin. And she goes, I, I believe, you know, what the Bible teaches that we're to save ourselves, you know, for marriage. And so I'm saving myself, you know, for my husband, you know, one day. And they just riled her. They just teased her. And, and this went on, you know, for a period of time. And so finally one day, and I just love the wisdom of God. And you have to know my daughter, she's like the sweetest person I probably have ever met that, I mean, she wouldn't, you know, she probably wouldn't hurt a fly, you know, she should, but she probably wouldn't, you know, like, it's just trying to eat, you know, but, uh, she said, uh, when she came home one day, she said, she got into this discussion, you know, with her friends and they confronted her like a number of, it wasn't just like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And they said to her, you know, uh, so Brie, you know, uh, you know, you know, why, why, why are you, you know, saving yourself? And she tried to explain to them, you know, biblically. And then she said, she said, she just stopped and she looked at him and she said, you know, I just want you to know, she says, I could, I could become like you guys any day. She goes, but you could never, ever again be like me. And she goes, there's just something beautiful about saving yourself for the one that you, you know, ultimately would say that you would love enough to marry and, and have, you know, just your, for her, you know, her husband. And she said, it was just one of those things where they, you know, they had to sit back and it was like, she didn't mean it in a, in a mean way but it was just a reality of truth that you know yeah it's it, you know you can follow the world any day of the week you know but especially something that's so important as as our purity you know before god and especially the gift of our virginity that you can only give that one time and and that is to be a very very blessed and special thing and so you know i look at that and and it's just the wisdom and i appreciate the fact that you know, she walked in wisdom. Now, is it easy? And you go, no, it, it was painful. You know, people make fun of you. They tease you. Jesus said it, you know, there in Matthew 10 again, you're, you're going to go and people are going to what? They're going to persecute you. They're going to make fun of you. And, and, and unfortunately for many in the church today, because of social media, you're so worried about what other people think as opposed to what does God think that, that we should play to an audience of one. Amen. And that really should be what, you know, what our hearts are about. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. He says, but you, Timothy, remember he's writing to his young protege here. He says, you certainly know what I teach and how I live 
and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, and my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from it all. Yes, and everyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures, there's the key, from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. Wow, I love that. So how do we become wise in doing what's right? What does it say? Stay in the word of God, amen? It's not even rocket science. Psalm 119, 130. The teaching of your word gives light so even the simple can understand. That's what Paul was writing Again, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as representatives of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Yeah. Preaching the gospel, I think we'd all agree, it's not going to win you a popularity contest. Not with the world, but it will with God. So why is the gospel, like I said, under attack? Again, because of its exclusivity. You know, is it, excuse me, is it possible to believe in Jesus by accident? Is it possible to believe in Jesus by accident? No. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing comes by what? The Word of God. So what he's talking about is the Word of God is what illuminates us. It's what gives us the understanding. That comes from God. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from our own intellect here, okay? So let's end it with this. How, again, there's all these different messages out there. I just read a few things from Jehovah Witness faith, the Mormon faith. But let's just look at this. You know, we think about the Romans road, right? How, why this book is so deep. You know, why it's so meaningful, so impactful. You know, take this with you today when you think about it. how can we be saved according to the Bible? How can we be saved according to the Bible? And most of you, you know this, Romans 3.23, what does it tell us? For everyone has what? Sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, right? Romans 6.23 goes on and says, and for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to know these truths, and we need to go over them again and again and again, and we need to be able to be able to share them with other people, right? Romans 5, 6 through 8. Again, the Romans road, we talk about this. When we were utterly helpless, you remember that day? Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us 
while we were still what? Sinners. Yeah. Second Corinthians 5.21, it says, and for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. See, his perfect life for my sinless life. He traded places, right? So that what? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. That was what this whole series of Romans is about, being made right. I can't make myself right. You can't make yourself right. Jesus came to make us right. Amen? Romans 10, again, we just read this, you know, Romans 10, 9 through 13. How do we get saved then? He says, if you openly declare, openly, openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone, what does it say? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will what? Be saved. Isn't that the good news? Everyone. Does it say the elect, the select? No, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John 6, 37, Jesus said this, however, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. You come to Jesus, he will never turn you away. Isn't that good? I don't know about you, but man, I, I highlight that in my Bible. He will never turn you away. You come to Jesus, you go, well, what if I messed up too much? Is his grace not sufficient? Was his death not enough? Did he die for one of your sins? Two of them? Or did he die for all of them? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Think of it this way. Then. This means if you're in Christ, that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Fresh start. Need a fresh start in Jesus today? It's right there. Probably my newest favorite passage, and I've been spending just weeks walking through this and just writing about it. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus describing himself, right? You know, you go, well, I know what you say about Jesus, you know, Pastor Michael. What does Jesus say? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. That's a great, great truth. And then the one I want you to hang your hat on this morning as we close in prayer, Romans chapter 8. Again, that wonderful chapter. We spent a lot of time studying through verses 1 and 2. So now, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you admitted that you're a sinner, that he's a Savior, and you asked him to forgive you of your sin and for Jesus to come into your heart, into your life, to wash you and to cleanse you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit. So now you have more than an ever-ready battery. You have the very presence of God, the power of God to live a victorious life in Jesus Christ living inside of you today. Paul says, now there is no condemnation. There's no downward guilt any longer in your life for those who belong to Christ Jesus. It says, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you 
from the power of sin that leads to death. Hey, the good news is, if you're in Jesus today, what? You're free. And Jesus said, and if the Son sets you free, then what? You'd be free indeed. That's the gospel to hold on to. That's the gospel to share with other people. Amen? Amen. So how do you win a divisive person? One word. How do you win them? Don't. Don't. It's not your job. Don't. Dust your shoes and keep on keeping on. Because guess what? There's a lot of people out there that want to know the truth. They want to know that God loves them, that they could be forgiven, that Jesus sets people free, that Jesus is still doing the miraculous. Amen? That's who we're looking for. Not a fight, not a debate, but people who need help and people who need hope. Our prayers, God, lead us to them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to not only share your word, but Lord, for us to to hear your word and to apply those truths. And so, Lord, help us this week as we go from this place to go in the power of your spirit, that your gifts would be effective working in our life, that you give us the gift of discernment, that, Lord, you'd give us uh, all the gifts that are needed uh, as we come in contact with people, uh, as people, what, what's the gifts that are needed? Whatever is needed in that moment. And we thank you, Lord, that, God, you provide everything that we have need of. We pray for the lost, Lord, that we know, uh, just as we read those statistics, if 81% of Americans believe uh, in God, Lord, God, help us. Lord, help us to identify those people that don't know you, Lord, that need you, and to not be afraid or ashamed of having conversations about you with other people, earning, Lord, the right to be hurt by loving them and caring for them, helping them to know that, Lord, we're praying for them, God, we want nothing more than for heaven to be expanded, for there to be a, a rejoicing over every sinner who repents, Lord. God, help us to not, not get caught up in the things of this world, the things that are of, of no importance with regard to eternity. Lord, as we began just even thinking about in the announcements, Lord, as your word declares in Matthew's gospel, help us this week to seek first, Lord, the kingdom of God and your righteousness knowing that, Lord, you'll take care of everything else. You always have and you always will. Help us to trust you. We love you. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the hearts that are reflected and represented here. Uh, may we go in peace today. May we go or with just a, just a sense and a fresh sense of your peace and your joy in our life. We're saved and we're safe in you. Thank you that your burden is easy and your yoke is light. Go before us, Lord, we pray. Magnify you in us, Lord. That's our, that's our desire this week as we go. We go in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we all agreed saying amen. Amen. Well, church, I'll invite you to stand to your feet. We'll send you out with uh, worship. Let the song be in your heart today as you go from this place. And if you need prayer for anything, we'll be here after the service. But have a wonderful, wonderful day in Jesus.